Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Your host is Becky Olson. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, their friends and family by providing resources, support and inspiration they can use right now. Here is your host, Becky Olson. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Becky Olson. I'm the co-founder of Breast Friends. I'm also a five-time survivor of advanced stage breast cancer, a motivational speaker, and the published author of The Hat That Saved My Life. And I've got a really great guest um, with us today. But before I introduce her, I want to let you know or remind you that next week is Thanksgiving. And, you know, this is going to be kind of a different year when we think about the holidays. So we're going to be presenting a new show to you next week on de-stressing the holidays in uncertain times. <laughs> There's just so much going on right now. And my husband and I are actually planning a cross-country road trip to Georgia to go see our daughter for Thanksgiving. She was married in July, and this is her first time having Thanksgiving in her home. So we're going to brave it and drive all the way across country and Hopefully, we won't run into any political disruptions on the roads, and we are able to make the whole drive. So, But we do want you to tune in next next week um, also and listen to this, this upcoming show, because I think it may offer some ideas and some comfort, perhaps. So anyway, with that, I want to introduce our guest. This is Kelly Grosslugs, and for Excellent. over 25 years, Kelly's expertise while working in oncology Palliative care and hospice has been welcomed by patients, caretakers, and clinicians. Her compassionate demeanor as a clinical psychotherapist has supported patients, their families, and care providers who seek peace while experiencing the grief associated with end-of-life care. Now, the reason I wanted to bring Kelly on is she participated in a Breast Friends Warrior Wellness Conference that we had, and I was so impressed with her um, her demeanor and her take on all of this. And, you know, it's not just end-of-life issues. It's it's It can feel like end-of-life issues when you've just been diagnosed with cancer. But, you know, it's it's not always that. Sometimes it's just grief that we have to feel and we have to get through it and we have to process our feelings. And Kelly has all of that in her, in her bag of, of expertise. So mm-hmm. with that, welcome, Kelly. I'm so glad you came Thank on the show you, with Becky. us today. Beautiful introduction, and I have to say that the conference was so beautiful, um, reached, you know, we're in a time right now of virtual everything, right? And I, I think you guys did such a beautiful job of connecting with so many people. I was honored to be part of it. Well, we were we were just delighted to have you, and you did a magnificent job. Mm-hmm. The comments coming back from that have been really, really quite quite strong. So, thank you. so thank you. Well, Kelly, just so I don't know you very well yet, so I would like to know this, and I know our listeners always enjoy this moment too. If you could just take a minute and tell us about your family, where do you live? I I just heard today that you're in Minnesota, um, so just tell us a little bit about yourself. You're just your personal life, just for a couple of minutes worth. Yes. So I live in Minnesota where we had, oh, I think six inches of snow two weeks ago. And today it's 70 degrees. So that is Minnesota in a nutshell. Um, (laughs) I'm in the Minneapolis area. I have a husband and two children. They are college age. I have two dogs. um, And what I love to do for fun is be out in nature. I absolutely love walking in trails and especially with the heaviness of the world right now one of the things I highly recommend for people because it is available to all of us is to get outside 
Um, you don't have to be a marathon runner. You don't have to power walk. You don't have to do any of that to get the benefits of nature. So I love nature. I love to golf. Um, so what and, do you do in the snow? Do you walk around in the snow? You know, too? I do. I have um, snowshoes. And <laughs> um, yes, and I love snowshoeing um, on one of the big lakes. It's It's a wonderful thing to do. And so I think right now in particular, because of COVID and because we've all been in such a state of isolation that I have really benefited and appreciated nature more than I think I did before. You know, I I think one of the things that is available to all of us at this time is perspective. And, um, and I have definitely gained some incredible perspective in these last few months about what's available to us for our own healing. Yeah, I bet, I'll bet you have. I mean, it's, you know, this has been a challenging and trying time for a lot of people and with COVID numbers still rising and, you know, it's just like, where, <laughs> when is this all going to end? I don't know. Mm-hmm. But if you can keep your perspective and go out and get some fresh air, it's a real, it's a really good thing. So, well, thank you for that little, um, you know, bit about you. So tell us, Kelly, about, you have a website, conversationswithkelly.com. Tell us what that is and why you started it. So Conversations with Kelly is a community that I developed about five years ago. Um, Conversationswithkelly.com. Yes, that's my website. Conversations with Kelly actually, when I started it with my team, developed out of an opportunity to have live conversations, uh, whether that would be in Minneapolis or wherever I would go. And it would be conversations directed around things that might be difficult to talk about, whether it's grief, whether it's cancer, whether it's dying. Um, but we also talk about a lot of hope and gratitude. And it developed out of my private practice, which I had in Minneapolis for 15, 16 years. Prior to that, worked in the hospitals in palliative care, oncology, and hospice. But what I was finding is I was booked and I, I couldn't fit any more individual clients in, mm-hmm. yet I knew the messages that I had learned and the lessons that I had learned over the 25 years working with patients that it needed to go to a broader audience. So I continued to do practice up until about a year ago when I realized I really wanted to focus my energy on teaching and speaking and um, working on a second book. So all those things, the reason it really was created, Becky, is so that we could bring people together in community. And what we are finding now is we're having to get very creative, as you know, you know, because one of the things that is so beautiful about, um, we call it CWK, Conversations with Kelly. One of the Mm -hmm. things that's beautiful about CWK is that no matter where you're at in life, you are welcome. And, And people come to these talks, they're held about four times a year. And then in between on Facebook, I do a lot of writing um, on my site, Conversations with Kelly. And so I think, you know, it it was really intended to be a place that all belong. It continues to be that. It just looks different right now because it's virtual. Yeah, Um, so you're doing most of these conversations via Zoom or something? Yeah, and and right now we we haven't done like a major Conversations with Kelly live at this moment, but I've done many talks. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm on live every Wednesday night with my colleague and friend Brian Pyatt where we 
that's 7 p.m. Central Time. Um, and that's just open to everybody. And so I'm finding that even more so now, people are needing connection, right? They're, they're yeah. needing connection. And my expertise is on, in oncology, but I will tell you that I have had many people come because they either, you know, they have other advanced diseases or they're struggling with their mental health on top of disease or they're struggling with their mental health without a physical disease and they feel shame and they feel isolated. And so for me, that's, that's really what it's about is just joining community. That's good. Now, do you, do you find, let me just ask you, do you find that people are getting zoomed out? I do. I, yeah. I find that I really find that people are getting zoomed out. I think a, you know, I will say it's really, it is hard on our eyes to be looking at a screen. I think so. I think that, and I feel like we could do it in the beginning because we thought it was going to be really short term. Yeah. And now we're sitting at a time here in November that we're only seeing cases go up and it's feeling very frustrating because yeah. we can do anything for a short term. And now I think people are kind of seeing the writing on the wall that it's it's going to be a while. I do feel like people are getting zoomed out. And, you know, yeah. and I, I want to say to people that that's okay to feel that. So many people want to, like, diminish that and say, well, at least, you know, we're grateful we have this. Yes. That's true. Yes. And, and it's okay that you don't like this. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's really okay because you want human connection in person. Yeah. And I, I really, I think that's so true. And, you know, we were supposed to have a meeting in our office on Sunday and, um, which would be the first time we've all been together in a long time now, but we, we changed it, you know, because the, you know, the numbers, the cases are going up. So we decided to do it again via zoom. And so, um, you know, and I do, we all miss that human connection, but, you know, I, we all, because so many of us are, I mean, I'm in my, I have metastatic breast cancer now. It's in my liver, lungs, okay. and bones. I have to okay. be kind of careful, probably yes. a little bit more than some. Exactly. Um, because if I get it and it goes into my lungs, it could be, you know, the end of me, I suppose. Um, so I've been very careful, but um, I think that's a part of it. You know, when you have, when you're in this cancer community, you know, you, you just, you just have to be a little bit more careful and, um, you know, which makes it kind of frustrating (laughs) too. It does. And, you know, to your point too, Becky, I mean, I've, I work with a lot of women in the MBC community and I work with a lot of cancer people living with cancer. I I'm not a survivor. I've just worked for years with survivors and I've paid really close attention to what people say and need and, and -hmm. all that. And I will say, um, there have been several organizations that have brought me in during COVID specifically for the metastatic community because things like a canceled spring break trip is a really big deal yeah, because yeah. of you don't, you can't say, well, there's always next year. I mean, right. it, you know, and those types of, and, and really I, I had a, I worked with a wonderful woman who had metastatic breast cancer and she said, you know, I know we can all say, oh, I could get hit by a bus tomorrow. But she said, I happen to be laying in the middle lane. <laughs> so she, <laughs> she just had such great humor. And yeah. she lived like nine years with breast cancer oh, and metastatic gosh. breast cancer. So wow. she just, you know, it was incredible. But I think there's such a grief with this, isn't there? There is. And, you know, my doctor, I love my doctor. He's, he's amazing. He really cares about me. And I know this. 
And when I told him, we went, my daughter got married in July Mm. and we actually flew across country to Atlanta in July. And, um, and I talked to him before I went, I said, so how safe is this to do this? And he said, you know, everything that you do right now, it puts you at risk. He says, but some risks are worth it because you just don't know what tomorrow brings in my case. And so my daughter was going to move her wedding up to May to make sure I got there on time. But, but I said, you know, honey, in May, we don't know if people are even going to be able to travel because, you know, it was still COVID was still really new and things were shutting down like crazy. And we just didn't know. I said, don't move it. Just keep it in July and I will give do my very best to be there. Well, mm-hmm. I was there. I was strong. But he said, some risks are worth it. And because we don't know what my future holds, it's it's to my advantage to go. And so we're, we're doing it again here, but we're going to drive this time, partly because I'm giving her my car and I'm going to leave it there. And then we have to fly home and figure out how to get home from the airport, but okay. we won't have a car, but, um, but we're going to, we're going to make that drive and, uh, and see her because, you know, this is her new home and her new husband. And she's got a yeah. child now that, that she also um, married <laughs> at the same time. And mm-hmm. so that's their little family and they're going to do Thanksgiving for the first time as a family. And she really wants us there. So and that's, that's, you know, we talk a lot about what matters most, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. that, and that's, that's one of them is yep. who our people are. They matter yep. the most. Yeah, that's very, very true. Well, listen, I know before we get into the subject of, of end of life issues, I wanted mm-hmm. part of what I guess drew me to you so much is when Breast Friends started 20 years ago. One of the reasons we started an or- our organization is because of the realization that, you know, one in eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer, advanced, you know, kind of a aggressive sort of breast cancer in her lifetime. And the other seven will know her. And the problem is the seven don't always know what to do. In fact, they mm-hmm. almost never know what to do because it's such a an unusual thing to face. And unless you've faced it before, either personally or you've had somebody in your life who's who's gone through it, you really don't know your first time out, how do you support someone? And so when you spoke at the Breast Friends Wellness Conference, you touched on some of those things, how to be a proper caregiver and how to to give support, you know, for, for people like that. And why do you think it's so hard to do? How why is it so hard for us to know, you know, how to how we can help? Well, I think one of the things is, and I see this a lot in the bereavement work that I do. Um, I'm also a grief therapist. And so I I think one of the things is we're scared of saying the wrong thing or yeah. we're scared of doing the wrong thing. And that fear tends to get in the way of doing anything, um, which is a disadvantage. What I tell people is the worst thing to say to somebody is nothing at all. And yeah, because then people don't feel seen, they don't feel mm-hmm. heard. They and it, and it and it adds to isolation and yeah. so, but I I think you know I, I want to say that for the majority of the people out there they're very well intended, but I think there's such a fear about saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing they just end up doing nothing and right. that and truly one of the best things you can do is say I really want to help you I really want to support you but I don't know how yeah and the that's person, really it's good advice just to say it. Like I that. don't know how. And the survivor might say, well, I'm too exhausted to tell you. And so mm-hmm. sometimes what's important then is, is give them options. Here are some mm-hmm. things I can do. Because another thing is everybody listening to this has had that situation where someone says, call mm-hmm. me if you need anything. Mm-hmm. That's okay, right. A, that's never going to happen. <laughs> right. People are not going to call in general. And mm-hmm. B, they will feel 
they will feel abandoned if yes. if you say that and you don't follow up. That's right. And and that I think that's probably the worst thing. I mean, there's nothing yes. wrong with saying, if there's anything you need, let me know, because it's natural. It rolls off the tongue. Yeah. But the first thing that I always tell people is do not say that unless you mean it. Because exactly. if that pa- chances are the patient won't call you. But if she does, if she gets brave and calls you because she really needs something and you're the one that offered and then you don't do it, you don't return her phone call, you find excuses not to let that happen and don't make other arrangements for her. Because sometimes she might ask you to do something when you really can't, but you can always try to find another solution. Exactly. But don't offer it unless you mean it, because if she asks you and any of those things happen, she will never ask another Mm -hmm. person. You know, trust has been broken. Yeah, that's right. So don't offer it unless you mean it. And then secondly, make sure you follow up. Don't assume because she said she would call you that she will, (laughs) because she probably, that was the mistake that I made with Sharon. Sharon was the co-founder of Breast Friends. I made that mistake with her because she went through it before. She was the first in our circle to go through it. And none of us, we were all 40 and none of us had a clue what to do. And that's what I said to her. If there's anything I can do, let me know. And she said, oh, I will. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And she never did. And I didn't follow it up. And that was a huge, huge mistake. So when we started Breast Friends, I didn't want anyone to be as lousy a friend as I was. And that's why we started it because we, I wanted my goal in it was to make sure that that people knew how to be supportive. And I I learned it three years later when I went through it and now she was there to help me because she knew what to do. So it was a match made in heaven for us to do this together. And, and, but with that, we're going to go out to break. So we'll, we'll pick this up on the other side and we'll get into the end of life issues. So stay tuned. We'll be back in a minute. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. When a woman is diagnosed with cancer, she faces unique challenges. No one understands this better than the experts at Compass Oncology. Our women's cancer program includes a team of specialists in breast and gynecologic cancers, genetic testing, and the ongoing care of women with high risk factors. From targeted therapies and clinical trials to needed emotional support, Compass is a leader in treating women's cancer. Find out more at compassoncology.com. Female cancers affect women, but women's effects are felt throughout our families, workplaces, and communities. Electa is driving advances in precision radiation medicine across our portfolio of devices. By enabling treatment that is highly responsive to changes in tumor shape, position, and biology, but doesn't compromise the health of surrounding tissue and the patient, we protect the moments that matter in the lives of women with female cancers and everyone they touch. Learn more at Electa.com. That's E-L-E-K-T-A dot com. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling again with the compassion of a cross and shield and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states, giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance like no one is watching. Regents Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. 
We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. Um, As usual, I'm going to remind you of the four ways that you can get involved with this program. One, of course, is to share the link to the program with friends that you might have that might be interested in the subject. Make sure you share the link and tell them how to subscribe to our show. Um, You can also donate to our program by texting BF Radio, that stands for Breast Friends Radio, to 41444. That will open a link that you can then make a donation in support directly of this radio show. You can join our Facebook um, page. We have a group page. It's called Breast Friends Around the Globe. And it is a group page, so you're able to make comments on there. You have to ask to join. I will accept you. I have no reason not to. And we have people all over the globe that have joined um, Breast Friends Around the Globe. So join us. Tell us who you are. Tell us where you're from. And if you want to comment on any episodes, that would be great. That's what we do there. So um, and introduce yourself to the group. And then finally, the fourth thing you can do is nominate yourself as a guest. If you have an inspirational story or some educational content that you think our listeners would be interested in, reach out to me at becky at breastfriends.org. Let me know who you are, what you want to talk about, and we'll see if we can plug that in where it makes sense. So um, with that, we're going to bring back our guest, Kelly, and we've been talking about conversations with Kelly and how to talk to people that are going through cancer. And I wanted to come back in with one thought that we kind of discussed during the break. And, you know, for some people that are listening today, I know that maybe it's been too long since you've reached out and made that phone call to your friend. Maybe you were the one like me that was a little bit nervous, not knowing what to say, not knowing what to do. So it's easier just to kind of get back into your own little world and your own stuff and, and, you know, kind of put the other person aside. And it's not what we intend to do, but sometimes it goes that way. Now, if you find yourself in that place and you've got guilt around that, there are things that you can do. And one of them is pretty simple. If you call that person that you are so overdue for a conversation with and just say, you know, today I heard a radio show, I was listening to a podcast, and it made me think of you. And I have not been a very good friend and I haven't been able, I haven't reached out to you like I should be. And I want you to know that I want that to change. I love you, I support you, and I want to be here for you. So can you forgive me? And I can pretty much promise that, that that will break the ice and that person will say, yeah, I can forgive you. So I don't know. Kelly, do you have a thought on that? Well, that's beautiful, Becky. That's, a, that's definitely a way to approach it. You know, one of the things I, I often hear from well-intended people is that guilt that just gets at them and gets at mm-hmm. them and it becomes this, I think what we do is we put so much pressure on ourselves that we have to have this big, magnificent response when we call mm-hmm. or that we need to, and so then we get so overwhelmed by that. And I love what you said. I think what's important is when you call, you simply acknowledge, you know, and I, 
I love what you said because the person doesn't want to hear a bunch of excuses as right. to why you haven't called. You know, right. well, I've been busy. My son's in soccer, and and all of that may be true, but it doesn't. That doesn't really land well uh, if you're the person that feels forgotten. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you start off with just I. I want. The, I haven't been as good as I want to be, and I want that to change. And um, and then I always think it's important to ask the person as well, you know, would you be open to that? Because sometimes there are very deep hurts mm-hmm. and history of multiple abandonment and different things from, from friendships or family. And the person maybe really doesn't want to let you in because it's too much of a risk. And, you know, and so I, I think that's important too for the people listening that have cancer is that you do have the opportunity. You do have the opportunity and, the choice to say no, if this doesn't feel like a healthy support person. But for the majority of the people, I think it's important to be open to forgiveness and let's go from here. And you know, when trust is broken, Becky, it's hard. I mean, I, it's, it's hard. And I think sometimes it's just, it's too risky for some people to let people back in. But the majority of the cases that I have seen, it's turned out really beautiful. Um, and like you were saying before the break, don't call and say you want it to be different if you can't make it different. I mean, I think that's the really important thing. That's but it true. doesn't have to be grandiose. Whatever you're calling to offer, it doesn't have to be like, I'll make you dinner every week. And, you know, it doesn't have to be that. It has to be, I am going to show up in a way that feels good for both of us. I think that's beautiful. And and you're right. To go one step further than what I said and ask that question, would you be open to that? I think mm-hmm. that's crucial because now it shows that not only am I being brave in reaching out, but I will honor your exactly. take on it. And um, because maybe I did blow it, you know, I'm very thankful with Sharon that, that we were able to overcome, you know, because we love each other and we care yes. about each other. But I was scared. I didn't I didn't know what to do and it just too much time passed and and then I felt guilty, you know, about it and of course. and I just didn't want that to happen to anyone else. And and well, you know, it's really kind of funny. I'm just going to digress for a moment. When Sharon and I started Breast Friends, that was the mission of our organization was to teach the friends and family how to support their loved ones during this time. Mm. But what we quickly learned, not quickly, it took a year to figure this out as we were developing breast friends meeting every week to figure out what we were going to do when we finally had our first coming out party at this, this um, health fair event with Coleman, her husband, who was her, just her boyfriend at the time was sitting behind us in our little, little um, uh, booth. And he was folding our flyers that we printed on our computers from home. And he was just sitting there silently listening to us. And at the end of the, the day, we and we'd been meeting every week for a year to put together what breast friends was about and at the end of the day he said do you guys realize when people ask you what is breast friends you're telling two different stories and we looked at each other and went what cuz i was talking about the how to you know reach out out and help support the friends and family and do that and she was talking more about the one-on-one support with the with the patient because what she realized you know she was the one that i didn't support properly and she was the one that knew I was going to go through this alone unless she helped me. 
Right. And so to her, the patient, what the one-on-one connection to the patient was the important route. And for me, it was teaching the friends and family how to reach to the patient. So it turns out Breast Friends is all of that because yeah. all of those needs are there. I just thought it was interesting after a year, it took a, a kind of an outsider to <laughs> pick up on the fact <laughs> that we were telling two different stories after we'd been meeting for a year. So I thought that was interesting. But anyway, um, so before we run out of time in the second segment, let's, um, I want to ask you, I know that you spend a lot of time dealing with kind of time, the end of life care and, and, you know, the palliative care. And I, I don't know if you do hospice, but um, why don't you start by explaining to our audience what palliative care is? Because I, I think people confuse that with actual hospice care and I know they're yes. not the same thing. So why don't you explain that for just a moment so people can know what that word means? So palliative care essentially focuses on helping people live a better quality of living. And you can really have palliative, I mean, I had people in palliative care for 10 years on my caseload. It really is about anybody that has an advanced kind of disease, cancer, um, you know, diabetes, heart condition, whatever that may be. And what the point of palliative care is to help you not only learn more about your own disease so that you can be empowered what you need, but also to help with support, whether that be psychological, emotional, spiritual, but also very much focused on the physical comfort. Mm-hmm. I think it's also, an, it's part of a team. It's part of your team. You know, it's part of your board of directors that you need when you are going through an illness um, that, you know, you need people in your corner. And I, and I love that for palliative care. With palliative care, you can still have very aggressive treatment. You don't have to have a limit on your life um, expectancy. And it does create a nice segue into hospice. Um, Mm -hmm. Palliative care, neither palliative care nor hospice are about giving up. It's about essentially um, increasing the quality of, of your life. And we actually know that there's studies out there that people that join palliative care programs and hospice programs end up extending their life, not hastening their death. And I think that that is a really important part to remember that this is really about um, your quality of living and, and what matters most to you. But many people have a fear that if they allow palliative care to get involved or hospice to get involved, that somehow they have thrown a stamp on you. Yeah, exactly. And, And that's not how, at least for the majority, you know, for certainly in Minnesota, I know Oregon is, is very advanced too with, um, with some of the ways that they care for people. And so I, I'm hoping that this is applicable to most, most states that are listening, that if you've had an experience in palliative care or hospice, that it's been, you know, that it's been a positive one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, the reason Becky that I have focused so much on this is because when I was 11 years old, my mother, who was 33 at the time, had a heart attack in the grocery store and I was with her. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And ended up having CPR um, in the grocery store. And I'm sorry, how, how old were you? I was 11. 11. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And oh. so they resuscitated her. She ended up going to the hospital and lived in Basically, an ICU, off and on, medical floor ICU, had three different code blues. Mm. And it was at a time where hospice wasn't available. Um, Hospice came here in the early 80s. 
And so she, she died in the early eighties. Um, but what that time taught me is how important it is to have end of life professionals and conversations and, because my mother really should have never lived past her first code blue. Somebody should have been in there with us having conversation about um, that she was never really going to recover from this and that this was cruel to have her living in this situation and that every time they did compressions on her, they would break real, you know, I mean, there was oh just, my. there was a lot, but naturally she was 33 and nobody was educated about it. So I did spend my career, I I didn't realize it, but at that time, um, my career choice was formulated, you know, and it, so what I didn't get and what conversations we didn't get to have as a family, and instead of focusing on beautiful conversations of saying goodbye and how we love her and we miss her, it was all about what are her oxygen sats today? And what are, you know, and it was like, right. I look back at that time. And of course I was 11, but uh-huh. nobody was guiding me through that. And now what I love about palliative care and hospice hospice also is that they will help when there's children involved, grandchildren, children, whatever that may be, is that we don't have to do this alone. And so that really is my mother's legacy. Um, it's Sandy's legacy. It's it's the reason conversations with Kelly started. It's it's the reason I'm in my field. Um, but she really is the reason um, for a lot of this. And I do know that, you know, now she's been dead longer than she was alive. And so for me, though, I know that she's a big proponent of this. And I know that from, you know, beyond where we are now, I know that she helps with this mission, because I do think she sacrificed a lot of her life so that other people could be helped. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a spiritual belief in my, in my feeling. Um, it might sound really out there, but you know, what person signs up at 33 to, to die and leave your child. Right. So I want to make her life and her death a purpose. And so that is why I've dedicated so much time to working in end of life care. Well, you know, yeah, that's beautiful. And and I know your mom's life did serve a purpose. And I know that's mm-hmm. such a hard thing to, you know, it's like when people say, well, everything happens for a reason. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a reason right, your mom right. died at 33. <laughs> Ouch, you know. Yeah, right. Um, right. But but with that said, um, there's still a learning there. There's there's hope still. I mean, you know what, when you when you watch somebody go through something like that, you know, how do you how do you encourage hope you know does it does it take courage to have hope in those in those moments tell me let's talk about that because I know that does Um, I I was interviewed for a a magazine um, called coping one time and the title of the the article was does it take courage to hope when you have cancer and basically um, the answer is yes and it does take courage to hope because many of us get our we say we know the cliche I don't want to get my hopes up too high mm-hmm. and that's the fear of if I go too high with my hope the fall will be greater um, and so mm-hmm. I want to hang out in this kind of neutral zone and not really have hope because then I don't have to be disappointed now my thing to hope is that it's it's a break from the negativity and the fear that we are constantly living in with either disease, grief, whatever that may be. 
that to have hope gives us a break. It, it gives us a break away from that constant mental anguish and the fear and the negativity. And that I will have to say that one of the things I teach medical students is that there is always hope, even at the last five minutes of somebody's life. Yeah. And that is really important to remember. There's a hope for forgiveness, gratitude, mm-hmm. um, all the different forms of healing. There's a hope that somebody feels loved, maybe for the first time in their life. There's a hope that they will have good pain management, that everybody gets to say goodbye that needs to say goodbye, whatever that may be. Um, But our hope is always something that, yes, it takes courage and it takes vulnerability to allow it into our life. But it is a, it's a powerless and pretty dark time when we don't allow hope to be part of our story. Boy, I agree with you. Hope, you know, when we talk about four-letter words, that's my favorite yeah. four-letter word. Absolutely, <laughs> yes. you know, absolutely. And I and I have hope. I just every time I go to go to my chemo appointments, you know, I try to picture this chemo just attacking all these absolutely these cells, beautiful. and you know, and and I'm I'm very appreciative. And I'll tell you where where a lot of my hope resides. You know, I I I'm also a spiritual person, and I yep. believe in the in the power of healing and I believe in Jesus and yep. um, I believe that right now my tumor markers, which had skyrocketed off the charts since I started this drug, um, my, my tumor markers are, well, one's back to normal range and the two, one was over 600 and now it's like at 80 or something. So oh, it's draw. It's just draw. Every time I go in, they're dropping down, down, down. And so that's not an indicator that the cancer is gone. In fact, my doctor had to remind me, he goes, now you, you remember that you have cancer, right? Because yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm acting like I don't have it anymore, but clearly I do. My scans still show it, but they're, nothing's growing and some of them are shrinking. And so something's going on, right? And that, that little bit of encouragement gives me so much hope. And, Absolutely. And I Absolutely. believe something something miraculous is going on. And I'm and that's where I, I get a lot of my hope from. And I I hope that we have listeners out there that can also embrace that same concept. And with that, we are actually going to go out and take another break and we will be back in a couple of minutes. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Female cancers affect women, but women's effects are felt throughout our families, workplaces, and communities. Electa is driving advances in precision radiation medicine across our portfolio of devices. By enabling treatment that is highly responsive to changes in tumor shape, position, and biology, but doesn't compromise the health of surrounding tissue and the patient, we protect the moments that matter in the lives of women with female cancers and everyone they touch. Learn more at Electa.com. That's E-L-E-K-T-A dot com. When was the last time you felt free? It's time to uncover that feeling, again, with the compassion of a cross and shield, and the power of a card that opens doors to the best hospitals and medical centers in all 50 states, giving you the freedom to love, to dream, to dance, like no one is watching. Regions Blue Cross Blue Shield. Live fearless. When a woman is diagnosed with cancer, she faces unique challenges. No one understands this better than the experts at Compass Oncology. 
Our Women's Cancer Program includes a team of specialists in breast and gynecologic cancers, genetic testing, and the ongoing care of women with high risk factors. From targeted therapies and clinical trials to needed emotional support, Compass is a leader in treating women's cancer. Find out more at compassoncology.com. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. tuned into Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to becky at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to our program. We've been talking with Kelly Groslugs about talking with loved ones, about grief and loss, and how do we help them get through this cancer battle. And uh, Kelly, welcome back. Um, Thanks. So we just left the second segment, and I wanted to ask you about maintaining resiliency during cancer. Mm -hmm. What does that mean to you, and how do we do that? I think it's a beautiful question because um, oftentimes people confuse resiliency with being strong, quote unquote, or being not being strong. Um, the word strong is such an interesting, at least my experience with people, it, it's got an interesting relationship. You know, people will often say, you're so strong, or how can you be so strong? And, and what we don't realize is that can be an, a subliminal pressure that's put on people that they, if you know, because we're getting accolades for that. And so what I think is important is that resiliency is allowing yourself to be vulnerable. Resiliency is allowing yourself to have hard days, to have days that are difficult. The resiliency is about, it's not about avoiding the fall. It's about letting yourself fall. And then, and I don't mean this literally, you know, this is figuratively letting yourself fall and then allowing support of others to help you get back up. And that's how you maintain your resiliency is you keep building it. And so it's a muscle. And in order to build it, we have to have an opportunity that it gets challenged. And then we build it by, again, allowing people in to support us, getting the help we need, reading a scripture, if that's important, um, going out for a walk, whatever that may be, and then continuing back to the issue at hand. And so when so, you so when you say it's a muscle, I just I don't mm-hmm. want to get trapped in that thought because I'm not quite sure I know what you mean, but are you talking about like emotional muscle? It's an emotional spiritual muscle. Okay. Yes. And so okay. we have to build it like we would a physical muscle. Got it's it. something that needs to be built and that even like and if you think about it, when we work on our physical muscles, it doesn't happen overnight with one trip to the gym. Right. right. And so right. With our emotional, our spiritual resiliency muscle, it's 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 over time that that builds. But I, what I want to be very clear for people about is that people sometimes will say, "Well, I'm not resilient because I broke down crying," or "I'm not oh, resilient gosh. because I I said I couldn't do that." And that's actually the opposite. <laughs> the ones that cry are building their resiliency yeah. because you're allowing Well, that's good because I do it a lot. I cry yes. Hallmark commercials. I mean, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. And so it's, it's, again, it's about 
it's not, it's not so much about, um, you know, it's, it's almost a little bit Becky, like those punching bags that we see those clowns that are blown up and you punch, they go down, they come back up. That's how I see resiliency because there's a lot of punches in this life, right? There's a lot of things we get. Um, but we get back up and breast friends would be one of those things that would help people build their resiliency, their ability to come back and face what needs to be faced. And so I think the way we maintain it is we allow ourselves to be vulnerable. We allow ourselves to have days where it's really hard and we let someone else in on that story. Um, so how can our friends help us? Because, you know, you use that example of resiliency versus being strong and how you know, people saying, oh, you're so strong, that does put pressure. You are right about that. And I, I've had people say to me, oh, you're so strong, you're going to beat this again. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> you know, but that right. puts a lot of pressure on me. Well, it does. It and, does. And, Absolutely. you know, maybe I will, and I hope I do, but it's going to be because God allowed it to happen. Yeah. I mean, this is a pretty serious battle I'm going through right now. So how, as a friend, can you help a patient be resilient, but not pressure them into what we're just talking about. Well, one of the things I've said to people, friends or patients um, is, you know, you need to remember how resilient you are Mm -hmm. because we are all resilient. I mean, Mm -hmm. in order for us to do this each day, this life Mm -hmm. and everybody has, I mean, some people on paper, you would think, how are they even walking around? Right. Like they've had hit after hit after hit. And, um, I mean, working with people and then they have a house fire and, you know, I mean, all of these things, you just think how, and yet they show up, they make the phone calls that have to be made. They go to their chemo appointments. They may even get a birthday present for somebody. And so it's pointing out to people that that takes a very, that takes a, an amount of resiliency to be able to do that. Um, and so you know, and maybe, and I, I don't want to put down the word strong. I'm just saying from people I've talked to that, that often elicits so much pressure on people. You know, you're so strong. You're so strong. And we see that a lot on, on the Caring Bridges site. And what patients will say to me is, yeah, that might feel good for a minute, but then I feel like I have to keep up that facade. Yeah. You know, when I go out, that yep. people are really giving me a lot of accolades for being quote unquote strong. Mm-hmm. What if today I just need to stay in pajamas and cry and what, you know, and I'll say, well, that to me as a therapist is one of the strongest is when people can allow their vulnerability mm-hmm. to be shown. Yep. Um, but so I really like to use the word resiliency and I will tell ev- everybody that's listening to this today is a resilient person mm-hmm. um, because I do and, and is looking for some hope, right. Yep. And can yep. feel hopeful. And I think that that, even that ability to to listen to a podcast or listen to a radio show that mm-hmm. talks about something difficult, like cancer, you are resilient. Yeah, you know, just, I agree. Just through that act itself, yeah, you are the resilient. willingness to absorb new information, exactly. learn from it. But I, I do want to say something before we move on to the next question because I don't want to run out of time. I got a couple really good questions for you. Good. But one thing I do want to share is if you are the friend who has said to your friend um, or to the patient, you know, that you're strong, don't feel bad about that statement because, and as the patient, don't, don't feel, or try not to, I can't tell you what to feel. Try, try to accept that praise as being 
you know, supportive because sometimes people say the wrong thing and then if they get kind of shut down for saying the wrong thing, they may not want to say anything again. Exactly. <laughs> so, and I, so we and have I, to be I think forgiving on both directions. That's such a beautiful point because anytime I talk, um, it's about educating and it's, and, and it may, you know, for some people, they may really like the word strong. You know, yeah. this is just what I've learned. Um, mm-hmm. I know I've gone through some really horrible grief in my life. And when people are saying to me, you're so strong, it does feel pressuresome because I don't even know what that means really. You yeah. know, I mean, I don't, I don't really, for me, I don't know what mm-hmm. that means. And you but know, it's, it's often said with love, you know, it's, it's absolutely. met with love and said with love. So, so as I guess, just as in that relationship content, try to be forgiving of each other. If we do say something yeah. that's not quite in line and, and it's probably okay if, if we can figure out a way to say that, you know, I know that you're, that you think that's helpful to me, but, but right now I don't feel very strong, but, yeah. but just know I love you anyway, you know, or something, exactly. I don't know. Or but, I don't, I also want to be able to, to show you my side that when I, when I'm feeling more vulnerable yeah. or weak, yeah. weaker exactly. or whatever that may be. And you, you bring up a beautiful point, but it's not intended to shame anybody. It's just right. to acknowledge. And, you know, quite frankly, there are many people I'm in awe of, like they are like their strength. I'm like, how do they do it? And yeah. strong is often a word that comes to mind. Yeah, that's true. So let me ask you about this. Let, let's talk for just a minute about healing versus curing. Mm-hmm. What, is, what does that mean? I mean, I, that was one of the things that we picked up on, you know, in, in your website. But talk about healing versus curing. What, what is that? So, um, and I talk about this in my book, A Comforted Heart. It's, it's one of the things after working with people for so many years that have terminal illness or working with people that have maybe a childhood history that is very damaging, um, abuse, whatever that may be, knowing that we can't change that, knowing that we can't cure the cancer, we can't go back and change the history or change the story, but we can heal. Everybody can heal. Every single person can heal. And in, um, in a documentary that I um, am part of that we just have been launching titled Dying is Not Giving Up, um, that's one of the things I say in there that I've seen some of the most, one of the most hopeful moments at the end of life. And it's because of healing. It's things that are available to us saying, I'm sorry. I forgive you. I love you. You know, thank mm-hmm. you. You matter to me. I will never forget you. This is how I'm going to honor you. Um, finding your higher power, learning to forgive yourself, learning mm-hmm. to give yourself grace. All of those things are available to all of all of people. Doesn't matter what your diagnosis is. Doesn't matter what your you know what mistakes you've made in life. It doesn't matter because truly, there's so much healing that's available to us. And so I, I want people to know that that even with a terminal diagnosis, that doesn't mean you can't find your voice, find your spirituality. Um, say no to somebody, say mm-hmm. yes to something, you know, yep. those are all it's moments beautiful. of healing. Those are all moments of healing because mm-hmm. for some of us, it might be the first time. That's beautiful. And then the dying, another line on your mm-hmm. website that I just grabbed hold of, cause I thought it was beautiful. The dying teach us how to live. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an ox. It's a paradoxical statement. I know for many people, but it's, it's the cornerstone of my living. Um, mm-hmm. And in my career, having been at the bedside of 
I think we've count, I think over 400 de- last breaths. I've actually been at the bedside, but have worked wow. with thousands, thousands of dying people through my career, but have been able to be there for hundreds of last breaths. So really mm. one of my most privileged experiences in life, but having the conversations with dying people um, and what matters most to them and what they put their energy into has really mm-hmm. taught me how to live. It's taught me how to have gratitude. It's taught me how to have perspective. Um, what comes down, what it comes down to at the end of life is, um, the people in your life, you know, and, and not necessarily the things, right. Um, worry is something that we are very good at doing, but what I, what I noticed in, um, working with dying patients is that they aren't necessarily as worried. They are very comforted if they have the things like safety, love, um, in the moment, they're very in the moment mm-hmm. and can appreciate things. And so I think that, that that's one of the greatest privileges I've learned is how in the moment, if we feel safe and loved, we pretty much have everything. That's beautiful. So we are just about out of time. So very quickly, you mentioned your book, A Comforted yeah. Heart. And it looks like a beautiful book. I haven't I haven't read Thank it, you. but I again saw it on your website. Tell us how people can get a copy of it, and I need the very quick version. <laughs> yep. So it's on my website at conversationswithkelly.com or on Amazon. And Kelly is K-E-L-L-Y. Why? Right? Yep. Okay. Um, conversationswithkelly.com. Okay. Yeah. And then yeah. also please join me on Facebook or Instagram at CWK Heels um, or Conversations with Kelly. I would love to have you come on over and join the community. All right. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for being a guest on our show today. We are out of time and we will be back next week. And until then, remember, there is always hope and we are here to help you find it. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Radio. Please join Becky Olson again next Wednesday at 12 o'clock noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is always hope. And we are here to help you find it. We'll talk again next time.